1: G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au.
0: T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. On
2: 882 6PR, inspiring stories for Barra and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything.
0: Hello, my name is Tim McMillan. Welcome to another episode of Inspiring Stories, brought to you by Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments, because the little things are everything. Uh, My guest in this episode uh, lives a pretty good life, all said and done. He's a father of three. Uh, He's uh, working in an exciting area of resources, uh, pushing the frontier for uh, the suite of battery minerals that we're blessed to have here in abundance here in Western Australia, uh, and he runs triathlons, so he's uh, otherwise pretty fit and healthy. But not too long ago, none of that seemed uh, possible because uh, he was uh, gravely ill and awaiting a life-saving organ transplant. Uh, but we speak to him now in much uh, happier and healthier times. So hello and welcome to the program, Troy Scuds.
1: Hello, Tim, and uh, thanks very much for uh, the opportunity to chat to you.
0: It's a, it's an absolute pleasure. Troy how are you it's been seven or so years uh, since you got that life-saving organ donation
1: how are you how how's your health these days yeah i think uh tim i'm, I'm coming up to to seven years post liver transplant and uh yeah i count every day as a blessing yeah uh, you and... live every day to the fullest uh, possibility and and yeah i'm trying to contribute to my family, to society and, and make the best of uh, what I have.
0: Is it something that you still think about? Do you still wake up in the morning, Troy? And, uh, I mean, apart from being grateful uh, for this uh, amazing uh, second chance, if you like, it, it, are, you, are you sort of conscious, is it front and centre of your mind that you do have this uh, organ in you uh, pumping away inside you that uh, came from someone else?
1: Uh, it's it's interesting I, I think where I'm at sort of post liver transplant i've got to say i I probably don't think about it every single day yeah but it's probably more uh in those difficult times or uh you know when I'm out racing triathlon and I'm going through a hard patch it's it's probably those sorts of times where it gives me cause to pause and just reflect on how lucky I am.
0: Mm. Yeah, and I suppose that uh, that feeling of gratitude uh, it it will always be there, won't it? It'll always be strong.
1: Oh, it's you know, it's it's something that without without the liver transplant, I probably wouldn't be here today. So yeah, uh, yeah, it's during those difficult times where I look to the heavens and. Mm and can thank thank my donor
0: yeah um can i ask have you ever met uh relatives of your donor at all or anyone connected to that donor
1: no i i haven't um i think it it, it's quite a process in order to to do that so Hmm. post my transplant i probably had a bit of a rough trot so it took me a good 12 months to, to return to some form of normality and, and then I did write to my donor and, and that goes through a bit of a process with the hospital where I had my transplant and then the hospital at the other end where the um, liver was uh, retrieved from. Um, so they have to vet that, yeah. that letter and um, so I've written to my donor three or four times over the journey but uh, at this stage haven't Got a response, and yeah, I respect mm. respect that uh, that
0: that perspective. Oh, it, it must be an incredible process to go through, Troy. W- w- without sort of delving too deeply into that, do, do you remember what was going through your mind when you when you sat down and and wrote that letter?
1: Yeah, so it was almost twelve months post transplant. Yeah, um, yeah, I think. It was it was just wanting to to communicate in a very sincere way um, how grateful I was to to receive uh, the liver from yeah. from uh, the family, um, but also acknowledge and respect the the position that the family were in. They've, they've lost a loved one,
0: yeah,
1: and um, you know, I didn't know the circumstances in which uh, in which the family member passed away. So I just wanted to try and be respectful, not yeah, not draft a very long letter, but just a sincere thanks. And um, you know, if something came of it, great. But yeah. I also respect their position.
0: It, it it would be you know, I mean, and it may, it may still happen, I suppose. You know, where you do meet someone connected to that person, that would be an, an incredible moment, wouldn't it? But I suppose, like you said, you respect uh, their wishes and if they don't want that to happen, then that's that's their prerogative.
1: Yeah, absolutely. If, if I get that opportunity, fantastic. If, if mm-hmm. I don't, then I sort of think it's my duty, my responsibility yeah, to the family just to continue to live life to the fullest every single day.
0: Troy, take us back to you would have been in your late thirties. Um, your health became an issue. Can you just talk us through, um, you know, some of the the years building up to a time where you became then in need of a
1: of a new liver? What was going on in your life? Yeah, sure. So uh, I first got diagnosed with liver disease back in nineteen ninety nine. Yeah, uh, and it was a uh, autoimmune hepatitis, so generic inflammation of the liver. Um, And I was quite lucky. It got caught relatively early. Um, And my wife was pregnant with twin girls at the time. So I sort of had to face into the fact that I had uh, an underlying liver disease and I wasn't quite sure... uh, what the path forward would be, whilst sort of at the same time trying to stay strong and, and positive and, and excited about uh, two beautiful girls uh, coming into the world. So we sort of got through that, and I was successfully uh, through medication uh, managed the liver situation, and uh, until about 2000. And late 2010, um, for about 10 years I was having sort of regular blood tests and checking in with the doctors and everything was fine. But then I started to get increasingly tired and uh, fatigued and had another blood test late 2010 and um, the underlying liver disease had um, progressed into a a secondary uh, disease uh, that... uh, was more fatal uh, and likely to uh, lead to lead to potential death if, if something didn't happen.
0: How did that bombshell
1: land on you? Well, we had just returned from living in Queensland. I'm mm. uh, WA born and bred. I was working in central Queensland. Uh, we just moved back, so we were, we were trying to settle into... Uh, back into Perth, and uh, I'd stayed with the same company, West Farmers, but moved into a new role, so I was trying to sort of settle in, into the new role. And uh, it came as a bit of a, a shock, because uh, i felt relatively well up until then, and uh, it, it was only just one blood test that had start, started to see uh, the results go the wrong way. So it was a case of... Yeah, you know, I've never sort of really been one to look too far into the future but just deal with the issues at hand. So I um, you know, got diagnosed with this secondary disease and then worked very um, diligently with, with my uh, hepatologist to try and manage the situation.
0: Yeah. And at what point did the word transplant enter the conversation? And, and do you remember when you first really had to get your head around that
1: idea? I think when I got diagnosed with this uh, secondary disease, um, primary sclerosing cholangitis, the, my specialist, who's become a, a close friend, said, said to me that you could go on and live a relatively normal life for 15, 20 years or five years. Um, or in, in a very short period, Space of time, you might actually need a a transplant because mm. the alternative is death.
0: Yeah, it's pretty. Um, um, it's <laughs> it's a pretty black and white scenario to face, I imagine.
1: It was, and you know, it was interesting. I was having uh, monthly blood tests, and, and this went on for a couple of months, and, and then I had one blood test, and I remember getting the call from uh, my specialist. Uh, secretary sort of saying, look, you know, can you come in? Uh, the doctor wants to uh, have a chat to you about your uh, blood test and uh, probably be um, a good opportunity for you to bring your wife as well. Right. <laughs> Which sort of got me thinking, like, this is this is yeah, not normal. This is big. Yeah, mm. it's normal. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, Troy, we uh, need to
0: we need to head to a break, but um, keen to know what happened next. Uh, we'll get into that right after we take a break. Troy Scuds, uh, organ uh, recipient, is our special guest. Uh, this is inspiring stories on eight
2: eighty two six br. Back with more in a moment. You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Barra and O'Day because the little things are everything. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on 882 6PR, brought to you by Barra and O'Day, because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring
0: Stories, uh, where my special guest is uh, Troy Scuds, uh, as I mentioned earlier, a man who was uh, given a second chance uh, at life some years ago, uh, when he uh, fortunately was uh, able to receive a donated liver as his own condition was deteriorating. Uh, Troy, that's kind of the point where we're at. Uh, you get that call from uh, from the, the doctors asking for your wife to come with you. Um, you must have been having some fairly uh, serious and profound thoughts, uh, dare I say unpleasant thoughts, running through your mind at that point.
1: Yeah, I think, uh, Tim, by that stage I knew what awaited me obviously with the secondary liver function disease um, and we'd gone through a few months of trying to manage that and it had worked for a period of time through medication but I could sense that 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 path was uh, was quickly uh, uh, disappearing so I had nervousness I was scared um but i was also keen to take the next step to deal with the issue mm. yeah
0: yeah um and and the conversation that that followed then was it put to you at that point that hey we need to get you on the transplant list and uh, and and take this fairly drastic option
1: well it's not as simple as just going on the transplant list mm. so um I, I sit down with my doctor, and the doctor sort of explained to me my uh, liver function test had deteriorated, so we need to move to the next step. And uh, the next step was transplantation as an option or death. Yeah. Um,
0: it's a fairly so obvious I, choice, really, isn't it?
1: <laughs> yeah, I'll, 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 take, I'll take transplantation, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> um but uh in all seriousness um yeah it was it was a it was it was an easy decision i, I had a family i enjoyed life uh, even though things were tough um physically for me with with the liver disease but i had something to live for mm. and um so it, it was it was it was an easy decision to to choose transplantation yep. but Um, As I mentioned earlier, it's not as black and white as that. The the next step is uh, you have to go through the the hospital system. So uh, all the uh, liver transplants are done at Sir Charles Gardner Hospital. There's a liver transplantation unit, as as there are for various other organ uh, spread across various hospitals in, in WA. And um, you have to go through a process, approximately a week of, of tests in hospital, uh, yeah. both medical tests, uh, physical tests, uh, but mental and psychological tests. And what, what they're looking to do is better understand uh, what's inside a potential transplant recipient, what existing diseases may... Uh, be there, be it cancer or or anything else Um, and in order to make sure that the potential transplant recipient can endure what potentially might await them Um, and it's not just about the physical uh, elements Uh, I thought the hospital did a really great job of making sure from a mental and a psychological perspective that I understood what I was potentially uh, going down the path of, uh, making sure I had uh, financial and and the support structure of Mm. family and friends around me. Yep. So, um, Tim, I I got through that week of uh, tests and then it's just a bit of a waiting
0: game, mm. um, which I imagine just must be all-consuming when you when you're sitting there waiting. Can I ask, what, just day-to-day when you're given the I suppose the the approval then to um, to be on that list? Um, you know what happens? Do you literally just have to wait for a call from your surgeon to say, "Hey, we've got one." It's time, or is there any kind of notice you're given that you know hey, we've got one, we can do it in a okay. you know how does it work? Are you literally just sitting there waiting for the phone call?
1: pretty much i um, so the uh, transplant unit was very clear in making sure that I was never more than uh, a few hours from the hospital yep so i, I couldn't couldn't really travel. Uh, too far from Perth, um, and I just had to sit there and wait and try and live as normal life as possible. So I continued. <laughs> how do you do, how do you how do you do that when you when you're
0: waiting for that <laughs> that incredible phone call? Well,
1: you know, I I think the very fact that you've actually been able to get onto the transplant waiting list um, you feel somewhat lucky yeah uh, because if you don't make it onto that list then it's it's a case of mm. trying to do the best and, and manage so I've already sort of felt that like you were you were part, part I, way I, there I was part way there so yeah. you know I've just now I've just got to do my time so mm. to speak they, and wait. Um,
0: did they give you a time frame for how long you would likely have to wait?
1: I think they said about nine to 12 months, roughly. But, yep. you know, it, it, there's a number of uh, criteria, I, I guess, in terms of assessing yep. suitability for transplantation. Uh, you know, who needs it the most, you know, how sick the person is. But then there's things such as tissue matching, Uh, and and other such things that need to be considered. So I'd heard of people up to two years, five years on the wait list. So Mm. I'd sort of prepared myself mentally that I was going to hunker down for for the journey, no matter uh, how long it took. But um, every time that phone rang and Mm. I didn't recognise the number, I was like... Could this be the call? Could yeah. this be it? Yeah. Now it's, it, it, it's an interesting feeling because your life could be saved, but on the other side, yeah, something has tragically happened to someone.
0: Yeah. Yeah, the ultimate bittersweet feeling. I mean, even that sounds cliche to say that.
1: Absolutely.
0: Yeah. 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 Um there must have been times when the phone rang and you thought this is possibly it and it turned out to be uh, clearly not. Um, yeah. Those moments when, you know, that feeling of, oh, it's just you. <laughs> I thought it was someone else. Yeah. How many of those calls yeah, exactly. do you do you remember having?
1: Uh, look, I, I think in that situation, you've got heightened sense of nervousness. So yeah. uh, uh, to me, it probably felt like hundreds and, yep. or even thousands of calls, but in yep. reality, it was probably pretty, pretty few in number. And yep. um, look, I I, I I remember the day that I actually got the call. I'd mm. gone to work, I worked a normal day, came home, and um, we were about to sit down and have dinner, six thirty, seven o'clock, and the phone rang. Don't recognise the number. Mm, okay. Could this be it? Um, and indeed, it was. Wow. Uh, and
0: and. So you were just sort of standing in the kitchen at this point, were you? And.
1: Pretty much, Tim. I was <laughs> getting ready to put some sauce over my steak and sit down and and um, have a family meal, and, and then I get this call, and you know the hospital. Hospital says make sure you have a bag packed and everything ready to go and yep. all that sort of stuff. And
0: How long do they give quiet. you? Is it sort of uh, like well, come now funny. or is it come tomorrow? How quickly did you have to be there?
1: Yeah, so in my case, uh, my, my response to, to the surgeon on the phone was, I'm just about to sit down and have dinner. Should I come now or can I finish my steak? <laughs> and uh doctor said, mate, no, come in in a few hours um, and we'll we'll start the process. So um, it's... I, I still remember that, that. Yeah, I bet you do. Um, that moment and also the drive to the hospital. Yeah. Um, because at that point, I, I think it, for me personally, it hit me like a ton of bricks, and yep. you know there was an awful amount of excitement, but at the same time, um, fear that it, I, I don't know what awaits me. Yeah, just yep. the unknown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or even in some circumstances, you get called into the hospital, and whilst sort of they're prepping. You, they're also doing final tests on yep. the on the yep. organ to be transplanted, and sometimes they they determine that it's not the appropriate match. So, mm. uh, you know, there was there was the risk of sort of a false start, yep. even though I'd got the call. Did you
0: have to drive yourself to the hospital, Troy? Because I, I don't even know if I could could have done that if I was in your position. <laughs> I would have run off the road. <laughs> <No>.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I. Uh, Julie, my wife, uh, took me into the hospital. Took the wheels that uh, day. Good move. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Troy,
0: I'll get you to talk us through the procedure right after we take a quick break. So stay with us. Troy Scuds is our special guest. This is Inspiring Stories. Back with more in a moment.
2: You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Barra and O'Day. Because the little things are everything. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on 882 6 br Brought to you by Barra and O'Day. Because the little things are everything.
0: Welcome back to WA's Inspiring Stories. This is the inspiring story of uh, organ transplant uh, recipient Troy Scuds. And Troy, we're just at the, the really critical moment uh, in your life back in 2013. You've got the call uh, to get yourself to the hospital, uh, you've been prepped to go into surgery uh, i'm i'm not going to ask you to recount all of it because i know at some point you're about to be anesthetized and knocked out but uh, <laughs> your last memory as you've being wheeled in or prepped for for the for theater do you remember what that was
1: i do i uh, remember it quite vividly actually i got uh, wheeled into sort of the waiting room adjacent to the to the theatre yep. uh, and, and then uh, the door sort of swung open to the theatre room and I sort of got wheeled in and uh, I looked uh, straight ahead and at the other end of the theatre I could see a, a nurse or a specialist, a, a doctor, was actually doing some work on the liver. Yep. That I was about to receive. Wow! And I remember saying to the doctors, "Is that it?" And uh, they said, "Yep." And then that was it. I don't. I don't, I don't remember then anything you're out. else. <laughs> yeah. Done.
0: And and now that uh, that liver that you saw then is is still working away inside of you seven years on. Yeah. It's
1: uh, it's. Uh, Besides the birth of my children and, and marrying my wife, uh, obviously this has this has changed me, and I, yeah. I wouldn't. I, I'm, I think I'm a much better, stronger person mm. for this experience. Yeah, uh, it's tough, but I'm I'm thankful that I've managed to come through. Yeah, yeah, uh, the other side.
0: How long is the the procedure? I'm, I'm guessing it's it's not a simple uh, and quick procedure to um, you know to put a, a new liver into you, take your uh, your old mm. liver out, put a new one in, and make sure that it's uh, got as good a chance as any as of taking. Talk us through that procedure, how long and how how difficult it is for the surgeons.
1: Yeah, so uh, I think my surgery was about five and a half, maybe. Six hours, right? Um, so I, I think mine started at about five thirty, six o'clock at night, and mm-hmm. was done by uh, just close to midnight. But you know, out of respect of the transplant surgeons, uh, my transplant surgeon had just prior to me done another transplant. Right. So, and I think for that week he had. Done a number of transplants, yeah. so mm-hmm. the skill, the dedication, the level of concentration under immensely trying situation or circumstances uh, is a real credit yeah. to the to the doctors and the nurses and the entire hospital system. That
0: mm.
1: here in Australia we we are lucky to to have such systems in place. Yeah, and when you
0: first came out of out of your anaesthesia and and started to come to and and take stock of what was going on, um, do you remember much of
1: that? Yes, I wake up early. Yeah, I, Tim, I, I'm I'm a pretty focused type of person. Yeah, um, and very sort of goal orientated. So. Uh, I woke up in ICU uh, a bit earlier than, than what I uh, probably should have, yep. uh, and I remember the first thing I did was sort of look down at my stomach and sort of with my hands, sort of patted my stomach to to make sure that the transplant had happened, and mm. for some reason there wasn't a complication that, that meant that the transplant uh, couldn't happen, so... Once I sort of realized it had happened um then i, I was I was high on on drugs no. so uh, yeah accordingly <laughs> so yeah um and then I got the opportunity to to see my wife a few hours later she she came in I remember the doctors said to her, i sort of come in." About eight eight thirty in the morning, but I decided to to wake up a few hours earlier than than that, so that sort of caught her off guard a bit and uh, anyway um so i spent, spent spent some time in ICU, but I do remember twenty four hours within twenty four hours of my finishing my transplant i I actually got up and took a couple of very small baby steps yeah. and to me that was immensely. Important just to start that process of recovery.
0: Yeah, yeah. And can I ask, obviously, you know, you you were experiencing some pretty dire symptoms um, with your degenerating liver prior to the transplant. How quickly did you start to feel better? Not just, I suppose, the wounds of surgery healing, but actually just in yourself and your entire body just functioning better.
1: Yeah, I I, uh, I didn't have the, the most uh, pleasant or easiest recovery yep. period. I, I think the normal uh, transplantation stays in hospital uh, anywhere from 7 to 10 to 15 days. I ended up staying in hospital for 38 days. Right. I celebrated my 40th birthday. I, I just had a whole bunch of complications and and Mm. most importantly, uh, my liver uh, started functioning uh, very well post-transplantation. But within a few days, uh, they performed uh, a liver function test and my liver had stopped working. Oh, wow. Mm. And uh, so they rolled me back into surgery to check if there was uh, any signs of rejection, uh, make sure all the plumbing was connected properly. Yeah. Uh, and all that checked out fine. So my, uh, my uh, surgeon, uh, I think everyone was a little bit dumbfounded, but uh, my surgeon sort of said sometimes post-transplantation the, uh, the transplanted organ can go into a little bit of shock yeah uh, and it just needs a bit of time to, to recover before it can start functioning again mm. um, no that was that was probably my darkest time yeah i can imagine
0: Troy, if you don't mind me asking are you a, are you a person of faith do you sort of seek guidance from something sort of you know bigger and and beyond uh, us mortal creatures here on earth.
1: Um, no, I, I'm not. Yeah, uh, I'm a Catholic-educated schoolboy, so yep. uh, I, I have an understanding and I, and I appreciate and, and respect uh, the role of religion in, in people's life. But uh, personally, I'm not. But mm. you know, Tim, in those. Dark moments, the, 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 probably the, the week to two weeks after transplantation. Yeah, you know, I certainly certainly did look for help.
0: Yeah. Well, you've got to you've got to find it somewhere, don't you, when you're in the fight of your life? Uh, well, you obviously found yeah. it too, Troy. Because uh, we wouldn't be sitting here having a chat seven years on, and you wouldn't have you know, done things that, um, <laughs> that people have taken their health for granted yeah. uh, certainly wouldn't have done, you know, like run gruelling triathlons and that sort of thing. Um, when did you start to feel uh, better then? You've gone in for this um, post-op op. Um, they've had a look around yeah. and, and, as you mentioned, you've gone through this dark period. How long did that, that last for and, and, and when did you come out of that?
1: I think it was... Uh Towards the the end of the third uh start of the fourth week that yeah. uh, things just started to work my liver started functioning yeah. uh, with no no other intervention and and at that point I sort of felt that I was making positive steps in the right direction and mm. um you know it wasn't too much after that that I was discharged from from hospital so uh, yeah. And then I could really I think in my own environment with family and friends start start the the longer journey of uh, recovery.
0: Troy, I imagine there's a a huge focus and rightly so on physical testing, um, blood tests, liver function tests, all of those amazing tests that doctors are able to perform these days. But what about your mental state through all of this? Is there a... Equal focus on that at all? Are they looking after you on that front?
1: I think I was uh, I was extremely fortunate between my surgeon and, and my uh, liver specialist hepatologist. Uh, they are wonderful uh, people in their own medical profession, but uh, are great friends, and you know I I, I remember having. Conversations with them about how I was going or how I wasn't going, and you know what might I be feeling at this point. And um, so I think you know, it was important for me that uh, this was going to be both a physical and a mental sort of rebuild, so to speak, yep. and uh, has, to, has to be done together as as one. And, and I was just very fortunate with the medical team plus uh, plus my family. Yeah. Uh, that it all sort of came together.
0: Yeah. Troy, we need to take another break, but after that we're going to celebrate all the amazing things that you've done uh, post-transplant because uh, this story does have a a great and, and happy ending. So we'll get to that after the break. Troy Scuds is our special guest. This is Inspiring Stories. Back with
2: more soon. You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Barra and O'Day because the little things are everything. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on 882 6PR brought to you by Barra and O'Day because the little things are everything.
0: Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Tim McMillan is my name. My special guest is Troy Scuds. Uh, We're back around 2013-14. Troy's just had a... uh, an incredible experience uh, being the recipient of a new liver. Uh, it hasn't gone all according to plan, but he's come out the other end uh, and ready to take on his new life, his uh, his new chance at life uh, with everything he has. And, and Troy, uh, from what I know of you, um, triathlon was a, a an endeavour that you put your heart and soul into. Um, am I right in thinking that was just you wanting to... I don't know, in a way, just celebrate this newfound health that you have and challenge yourself and just make the most, squeeze the, every bit of life uh, out of every day as you could.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. I I didn't set out to do triathlon post-transplantation. I, <laughs> I had a, a very close mate uh, 12 months after my transplant was looking for a runner to, to run the 21K run leg of a half Ironman. Uh, his runner had pulled out and he was doing the swim and the and the ride. So I was like, yeah, sure, I'll have a crack at this. Which is a
0: half marathon, just quietly. Uh,
1: yeah. It's not it a run around uh, the block. Even, <laughs> no, it was made even more worse because uh, it was held down in mandra and that day was a stinking hot sort of 38, 39 degrees and uh, I'd never run that far. And here I am sort of 12 months post-transplant. Um, decide why not have a go <laughs> and so uh so I did that with him. We we did another one and and then that's probably where the competitive uh spirit kicked in and I thought oh, I can actually I'm gonna give this a crack. I yeah I wanna do uh Iron seventy point three so joined the club, had no idea what I was doing and uh here I am today, uh I've done eight individual events and another three in, in, in teams so That's incredible. I, uh, I'm very fortunate
0: mm. and uh, feeling quite lazy myself now because I haven't even <laughs> ever really considered doing anything uh, as gruelling as that so uh, fair play to you Troy I, I know as well you've become involved uh, with a group called Donor Mate, uh, tell us about Donor Mate, who are they, what do they do yeah
1: so we uh, we started uh, donor mates uh, back in 2013, and uh, three guys in particular, and I sort of came along after my transplant, were focused on raising awareness about organ donation, uh, yeah. particularly to the younger generation. So when you look at the statistics, uh, close to about 35 37% of people uh, are registered on 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 the list um but one day they may become an organ donor yeah but when you look at the split of that demographic and particularly the younger people uh there is a very low number of, of people uh, sort of 16 plus uh that are on that on that list so uh through donor mate uh, we're very fortunate to have some very good people in that organization uh we Try and engage with that younger demographic in uh, a fun, entertaining, exciting way in, in which we try and celebrate life. Mm. Uh, you know, organ donation. There's there are support groups there that will provide support pre and post transplantation, but DonorMate is very much focused on celebrating life uh, and continuing to raise awareness uh, with a focus on the younger younger
0: demographic and Troy I think you and I are are around about the same vintage we would have grown up in the time and got our driver's license at a similar sort of time when it was as simple as ticking a box or uh, saying yes or no uh, when you got your driver's license as to whether you wanted to be an organ donor would you like to see something like that brought back I'm just thinking it might scoop up some of those uh, people in the younger demographic that you're talking
1: about yeah, I think, I think you've just got to sort of understand uh, what the driver's licence uh, system did. So it provided state by state a database of uh, individuals that were one day willing to become organ donors. Mm. But that was unproductive from a whole of country perspective, uh, when the reality is that Uh, Organ donation happens uh, across states. So a liver could go from South Australia to WA or a kidney from WA to New South Wales. So with these sort of very state-based systems using the driver's licence, it was very difficult uh, to manage uh, a much broader uh, opportunity. So that's why they uh, dispensed with the uh, driver's licence system. Yep. Notwithstanding, South Australia actually still has that in place. Yep. Um, but the rest of the country adopt a, adopted a centralised uh, yep. model of uh, registering through Medicare.
0: Mm. Troy, just just quickly, how are we going with our organ transplant lists and and people willing to be donors? Um, wait lists are they are they much longer than they should be? Where are we at?
1: So right now there's around about sixteen hundred people on the waitlist. Yeah. Um, to give you an indication, in two thousand and nineteen, we had nearly seventeen hundred uh, lives that that had been transformed um, by the generous donation of um, a, a deceased person or, or through a living donor. So, and that nearly seventeen hundred is up nearly a hundred and twenty odd. Percent from 2009. So in 2009, the federal government uh, made a very concerted effort to try and uh, improve the performance of organ donation. We were trailing uh, behind the world leader, uh, which is Spain. So the, the universal measure that's used for organ donation is the number of donations per million uh, population. So Spain has close to 40 people. Yep. Uh, the US has uh, approximately 30 and Australia is, is around about 20 right. uh, people. Yeah, So um, we're improving from a very low base but we've still got uh, a lot of opportunity. Mm. To Always
0: room for improvement. Well Troy I dare say anyone listening to this who's been complacent about uh, putting themselves up for uh, organ donation at some point in their lives. So it might just be changing their tune after this. So thank you so much uh, for sharing your story. As tough as I'm, I'm sure it was through part of that, I uh, really appreciate you sharing your story with us.
1: Thank you very much, Tim. Really uh, enjoy the opportunity. And uh, hopefully as a result of this mm. uh, people people can uh, sign up to be organ donors and at the very least have the conversation with family members.
0: Yep, absolutely. Uh, Troy, all the best uh, for the future too. Thank you. You've been listening to uh, Inspiring Stories here on 882 6PR. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. We look forward to you joining us again next time as we unearth another WA Inspiring
2: Story. You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Barra and O'Day. Because the little things are everything. When making the double chicken deluxe at Macca's, we wanted to improve on the perfect combo of tender Aussie chicken with cheese, tomato and aioli. So, we doubled it. Chicken and Macca's together and loving it. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Available after 10.30am for a limited time only.